introducer Redmond Hoffman coming to us in court uh, during the Frouding the Scolos Parsha Thursday night uh, Parsha and Pizza Share. Uh, we finished the pizza, but we have the beer. And the Parsha uh, uh, Yosef, like Pharaoh, is it a question or a statement? It's, it's a statement. It's in the Torah. Okay. Uh-huh. So uh, good evening, everybody, or good afternoon for those here in New York. Um, the Are, beginning like, of have the notes, put it up on the chat for those guys who like to, to follow. Okay. The so if you want to follow along in the, in the source sheet, we're on the top of the page. The Parsha begins, Vayigash Elav Yehuda, Vayomer Bi Adoni, Yedabernav Dechadavar Biosne Adoni, Vayicharapcha Biyavdecha, Kichamocha Kefaro. So Judah approaches, uh, Yosef and says, Don't get angry with me. Uh, because you are like Pharaoh. You are the equivalent of Pharaoh. Now, how do we understand Kichamocha Kefaro? What is his intent in telling Yosef, who he doesn't yet know as Yosef, that you are like Pharaoh? And there'll be about a dozen explanations in the Mepharshim and in the Midrashim, some of them reasonable interpretations, some of them outlandish interpretations, the reasonable ones we'll have to look at and see how they fit into the text. And the outlandish ones, we'll have to examine why does anybody say that? And there's going to be a reason why. Okay. So first, let's go to Bereshis Rabbah. Bereshis Rabbah says, Ki chamocha kefaro, ma paro gozer ve'eno mekayem, afata gozer ve'en Just as Pharaoh makes decrees, but doesn't carry them out. In other words, he's a big talker but doesn't actually accomplish. So to you're a big talker and you don't accomplish. Well, that's well, not a likely rationale. Okay. So the, the problem with this interpretation is that why are we putting in Judah's mouth an antagonistic statement as though it were, as though it were in, in any way realistic that he would say something so uh, offensive and an affrontery to, 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 the, to the viceroy thinking that that was going to be an effective way of getting his brother released or getting that, getting food to go home with and get all, you know, all 11 of them home safely. But Danny um, and I just learned that Ahab met Eliyahu and said, you troubler of Israel. Ocher Yisrael, yes, Ocher Yisrael. So some people, they, they lacked tact. I mean, they... Right, but the difference is that when Ahab says to Eliyahu, Ocher Yisrael, he's the king and saying it to a troublemaking prophet. This is a, a foreigner nobody saying it to the viceroy who has already imprisoned them and is, could imprison their, their, their beloved little brother. Okay. But in any event, once we're on the, on the, the track of he's saying something antagonistic, let's double down and triple down on it and, and make all, all sorts of other comments. So you, Pharaoh decrees and doesn't do, you decree and don't do. Ma paro just as Pharaoh lusts after the little boys, so too do you. So, uh, you know, a little LGBT stuff. But we're going to see in a different version of the Midrash, it's actually not Zacharim that they refer to. Then, ma paro melech lo just as you, uh, Pharaoh is the king, and you are the number two in Egypt, so, so is my father the boss of the land of Canaan, and I'm his number two man. The problem with that, of course, is, is Yaakov really the boss of Eretz Canaan? 
No, it's it's braggadocia to, to say that. I mean, the reality was that Yaakov feared the consequences of Shimon and Levi wiping out the people of Shechem, and only a miracle you know, stopped them from being overrun. Yaakov was very often afraid of what the local population would think of him and his uh, little group. Okay. Although, although, isn't it fair? It's always occurred to me to ask the question, with all the Avot, maybe they were at least local chieftains, even though the Torah never points that out specifically. But we do have Tichol Salzvaor coming with Avimelech. To That's true. Uh, You're right. We have examples of our uh, Avot engaging in violent conflict with others and being successful, and therefore possibly having developed a reputation of being locally quite powerful. Uh, I mean, it's certainly the case that Avraham defeats Kedar Omer, Yaakov defeats the Malach, Shimon and Levi destroy the, the city of Shechem. There's a certain martial component to, the, to the, the story of the Avot that may have then given them this uh, reputation and thus created an element of fear in the, in the rest of the population. But on the other hand, we have other examples of the Avot being themselves nervous about their own predicament and how they are a minority in a larger population that might do them wrong. Okay, Pharaoh, so uh, Pharaoh was nervous about the um, the enslaved Bnei Israel. Everyone can be nervous. Right, right. That's true. Now, if I unsheath my sword, says uh, the Midrash about Judah's comment to Joseph, if I unsheath my sword, I will begin with you. And I'll finish with Pharaoh. So here's a threat. I will kill you and I'll kill your boss. Like a real mafia uh, statement. I'll kill you and your boss if I really wanted to. Uh, This is as antagonistic as you can possibly get. Then go to Sefer Gemachia. These 12 sons could have like conquered and destroyed Egypt. I mean, they... They really get quite outlandish. So I, I, I'm going to get to that eventually. We're going to get to the issue of the out, the outlandish notions about the, the physical strength of the of the twelve shvatim. So go to Sefer Gematriot, Kamocha Keparo. You are like Pharaoh. The Gematria of Kamocha Keparo is the same as Becha Atchil. I'll start with you. So here, the Medrash and Rashi mention this idea of I'll kill you first. The gematria of I'll kill you first is Kamocha Keparo. Okay, very nice. Now, let's go to the next one, the Medrash Tanchuma. The Tanchuma also is going to speak about how uh, Yehuda is bad-mouthing Joseph to his face in his comparison with Paro, but of a slightly different variety. So Tanchuma says, just as Pharaoh loves women and lusts after them, has a big harem. So you lusted after Benjamin, that he should be your slave. So this was not accusing uh, Paro of Mishkav Zachar, accusing him rather of just being a libidinous and licentious guy, and you are like him, except you had your eye on Benjamin. Fine. Okay. Now let's go to Targum Yonason. Targum Yonason has a very different uh, explanation. Rather than criticize um, uh, Yosef for being an inept ruler or lusting after boys or, or, uh, or, or you know, I'll threaten to kill you, something different. 
Arum min shata de atinan levatach, havat amrali min kadam hashem anadachil. So you, from the moment we got here, said, I fear the Lord, meaning I have basic human decency. That's what Yosef said to the brothers about why he released Shimon, uh, uh, why he released them and only kept Shimon captain. So, uh, but while you said you fear the Lord, the reality is, your judgments appear as capricious and as evil as those of the Adon of, of Paro, meaning the gods of Egypt. The, the deities of the Egyptians are not good and decent and uh, 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 righteous gods like the God of Israel or, or the Elohim of the ancient world, which was assumed to have a certain basic humanity to, to it. Rather, these are the evil gods of the Egyptians. So you, you talk the good game morally, but in fact, your rulings were terrible. Okay, so now let's go to the Rashi. Rashi borrows from some of these Midrashim, but offers also the Pshuto Shil Mikra. And we'll have to see whether we like that Pshuto Shil Mikra. So Rashi says four things. One, Chashuv Ata Be'enai Kemelech, Ze Pshuto. You are important in my eyes, as is the king. And this is the Pshat. Do you agree? Is that the Pshat? Yes, that he's powerful like the king. I mean, it's... He's telling okay, me so, you're also powerful. I mean, so, so I, I think it is. I think it is the pshat that the what what uh, what Yosef what what Yehuda is trying to say is, um, you you are important to me like the king, and therefore I have to you know prostrate myself before you and beg for your indulgences because you're the boss. You are the boss. Have you ever said to your mother, Mom, you really run the kitchen? Is it okay if I take that for dessert? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Umidrasho, however, then he, but then he goes to three midrashic interpretations, uh, two of which we've already seen. Sofchalil kot alav bitsarat kemoshilaka paroy and ziknati sarah alayla achachikva. You are going to be stricken with sarat or whatever, whatever bodily affliction is going to come upon you for your bad behavior uh, in this episode with, with Benjamin and, 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 and enslaving us or putting us in prison, just as Pharaoh was afflicted in the Sarah episode in Parshat Lech Lecha for having kept her over one night in his harem. So the idea here is Kamocha Keparo, not the current Paro, but a previous Paro. A previous paro who who was punished, and so here we're saying you too are going to be punished. It's a threat, but now it's not a threat of physical harm, like I'll chop your head off, I'll unsheath my sword and chop your head off. Rather, it's a threat of divine intervention to punish you for a misdeed. Then the third interpretation, which we've already seen in the Madrash, my paro goes into makayim, You know, paro talks a big game and doesn't fulfill, so you you as well. The last one, the fourth one. If you annoy me, I'll kill you and your master. So Rashi gave a pshat, he gave a medrash we hadn't seen before, and gave two medrash and we, we did see him. Now let's go to the Rajbam and the Ramban. Say basically the same thing. The Rajbam says, Behold, you are like the king, 
and I'm afraid of your wrath. The significance of that is it fits the Pasuk, because what does the Pasuk actually say? It says that Yehuda um, is begging permission to speak into the ear of the viceroy and says to the viceroy, don't get angry with me because you're like, you're like Paro. Um, so why would, why would he get angry at, at the petitioner? Because number one, kings and monarchs often get annoyed with their petitioners because they're asking for stuff and they don't, and the, the, the monarch doesn't want to be hassled and bothered. But directly to him. Without- right. So, okay. So that's the other thing. It's the nature of this, of how this particular petition was made. It was not done in the ordinary channels. It was not done with the ordinary protocol. Whispering into the guy's ear isn't something you normally get to do. It's be, and the violation of the protocol in and of itself, aside from the substance of the request, could have gotten the guy angry. And what Yehuda is saying is, I don't, I really don't want to get you angry. I'm, I'm violating the protocol because I feel I have to under the circumstances, but I don't want to get you angry because I know you're like the king and you're, you're the big boss. You can do, you know, I'm afraid of you. Then the Ramban. In great dread, I speak before you as though I was speaking before Pharaoh. So it's, it's a twofold statement. One is to explain to the, to the viceroy why it is that the petitioner is nervous. And secondly, to say, and I'm nervous because I recognize that you have the same power over me that the head of state has. You could do real, real damage to me then. Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra notes a, a, a linguistic issue here. Ki chamocha kifaro, ata kemelech, v'hamelech kamocha. You are like the king, and the king is like you. So it's not just a, one, a one-sided comparison, it's a double comparison. V'chein kol shnei kafin shen ze This is whenever you have two uh, words in a row, ke, ke, it's not A is like B, but rather A is like B, and B is like A. Okay. Now let's go to my favorite one, the Abarbanel. The Abarbanel. It's not the appropriate way for a commoner, a hedyot, to speak to the master of the earth, whispering in his ear, face to face. Like mouth to mouth almost. Like he's getting up in the guy's personal space. That's why Yehuda had to say, don't get angry with me. Don't be annoyed with the nature, the, the, uh, the method of my request or the substance of my request. I'm not doing it to offend you. I'm not doing it to belittle your, your station, your, your, your position. Because I recognize that you are as august as is Pharaoh. But what is he really trying to say? He's saying you're as important as the king. Whatever you want to do, you can do. And who can stop you? Who can say what you, you can't do that? Nobody. Because even the judges are lower ranking than you are, and they can't get you to change your uh, decree. 
but the king himself, the kings can do whatever they want. In other words, this. I'm ask, Yehuda is saying, I'm asking for you to overturn your prior edict about uh, you know, the punishment that's going to happen for the person who stole the gavia, the goblet. Whether it's one brother or all the brothers, whatever you said the punishment was before, you said it before. But you're at liberty because of your august position to revise that in our favor, if we can convince you that we're not really guilty. And then no one can stop you, just like nobody could stop the king. So, yes, there are appeals processes for overturning bad verdicts by by judges, but but not you, Yosef. You're, you're the boss. You can do whatever you want. So go ahead and do the right thing. Yeah, Bruce. Well, uh, two points. One is he's not asking for any favors whatsoever. He's offering himself in place of the other one. And if he's bigger, stronger, it's a better deal for Yosef anyway, uh, for supposedly this Egyptian leader. He's not, he's not asking for any clemency at all. That's number one. Number two is he's speaking to him in Hebrew. And so uh-huh. he whispers in his ear, so to speak. Doesn't that sound something off a little bit? Because why would this Egyptian... Okay, so so the base Halevi is going to get to the issue of language. The last source on the page is the base. There's a long base Halevi here. We'll get to the issue of language. But is he really offering himself in place of Binyamin, or is he asking for uh, you know let everybody go because nobody's guilty? He's not saying his brother's innocent. He's saying, listen, just take me. He doesn't ever use the word. No, no my brother didn't do it. He's innocent. It's a set. He doesn't go that tack whatsoever. I, I get the impression that he was hoping for, for a full-fledged clemency. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe. But it's a good offer. Yeah, yeah. It is a good offer. Okay. I mean, let's, look, let, let's look at the base Halevi. Gam yesh lomar, dihinei b'chol divrei Yehuda kan, lo matzino lo bakasha, lo tanachadasha, rak chazaras tadvarim b'kotzer. There's no new request or no new claim. Rather, there's a repetition of the earlier comments which were uh, 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 done in brief, which had been said between them up until now, from the very beginning until now. So listen to what Beis is doing. He's saying that in Vayigash, we have a, a quick overview of all the lines of argumentation that had been said by the brothers to Tzachnat Paneach, via the interpreter, ever since the beginning of Mikates. That Judah was confused by all that had happened. When he said they came to buy food, the response of Tzafnat Panach was, you came to scout out the land of spies. When he responded, but we're all innocent, we're brothers. The response was, no, no, it's exactly like I said. You are spies. As though there was some kind of proof that, in fact, they had been convicted as spies. Every time the brothers speak, the reaction of Tzafnat Paneach is like a red herring. It's like off-topic. It's as though the, the two parties are not really speaking to each other. And one is saying a, a, res, a response that's out of uh, character of the conversation and, and without any evidence to it. So, so what did Yehuda think to himself? maybe 
that maybe the translator was fouling up and he was ruining the conversation. Saying to Joseph things in Egyptian that they, the brothers, had not said in the original Hebrew. And that's how the, the, the conversation became so stilted. So that's why now, in the beginning of Vayigash, Yehuda wants to go through the whole conversation all over again. He wants to speak directly to the, to the boss, in the boss's ear, without the help of any translator, no intermediary. Because after all, you are like Paro. Just as Pharaoh knows all the languages, because by Midrashic tradition, the Pharaohs of Egypt have to know all the languages, including the Hebrew tongue. So too, it must be that you of the Viceroy also must know all the languages. So the, the hint, the implication of this statement was that if you don't understand, then it must be the case that Pharaoh also doesn't, doesn't understand. And that's something that could not be said publicly to speak ill of Pharaoh. He doesn't know Hebrew. And therefore it was said with you are like Pharaoh. Either you understand and he understands or you don't understand and he doesn't understand. So you're both in the same boat. But it could be that you don't understand. Uh, now, I like this Beis HaLevi because of the cuff cuff, the you, you and you with a double comparison. But the better part of the Beis HaLevi is this idea of the brothers feared that the translators had fouled up all along and that the conversations had not really been understood both ways. Uh, of course, that's not what happened because Yosef is really Yosef and Yosef is not Tzafnat Panech, the Egyptian. But as far as the, the Yehuda is concerned, it's not a, an implausible thing to think that that's what he was thinking. Okay. Well, you know, what, what's the likelihood of going to the largest, whatever, empire in the, in the, in the area and, and it, assuming that they would understand Hebrew? Uh-huh. I mean, why, why would you do that? You wouldn't. I mean, you could go to the, you could go to the Vatican and start speaking Hebrew to the Pope. What's the chance he understands Hebrew, you know? Not very much. No. I, 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 I'll tell you why one story off the topic of, of translation running afoul. I was once at Parky Synagogue, uh, and Mayor Lepoliansky was, was the mayor at that time in Shalayim, and he was speaking and trying to raise money for his hospital in, in Ashdod. Is it, where's the, where's the, 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 the Hasidic hospitals? It's in Ashdod, right? Or Ashkelon? Somewhere. Louis Lepoliansky is, uh, was running out Sarah. Laniado probably. No, it, it, was, it was a new it was a new hospital that was be, being built for the Gera Hasidim somewhere, and uh, so he was trying to raise money, and he said that Yerushalayim was one of the the the, the, uh, the wealthiest cities in the world, and I was the translator, and Henry Kissinger was there. He was one of the people in attendance. It was like a hundred people there at Parky Synagogue, and I was supposed to be the translator. So I translated what he said. Yerushalayim is one of the wealthiest cities in the world. And people started booing me like I didn't know what he said, like I couldn't understand Hebrew. No, he meant the poorest city. But no, he actually meant the richest city. What he wanted to get across was there are wealthy donors in Yerushalayim, so there should be wealthy donors in New York. Uh, But sometimes even correct translation gets misinterpreted, let alone incorrect translation. Okay, so that's, translator. I mean, you think he might know a little Hebrew? He what was that? German, 
Kissinger yeah. was a translator in the American army and in, and in intelligence units, but he didn't know any Hebrew. He didn't, I don't think he knew any Hebrew. No. Okay. So, um, let's get back to, to these interpretations of Kamocha Kaparo. Why is it that some of the Midrashim and the medieval Mefarshim prefer to claim that Yehuda was antagonistic and threatening violence, and not just that he was threatening violence, but that he really could have carried it out? Why? That it's not even a bluff. That that that, that he really would he really could have he would have done it. He could have done it. Is there, is this a Rashi type of a midrash? No, I'm asking you. Forget midrash. Why? I'm I'm asking as a critical analysis of the midrash. Why is the midrash and the mefarshim in the business of promoting this kind of interpretation? Well, you're trying to project Jewish power that we're not really subservient. God's on our team. We're God's people. Right. Okay, good. So I, I, I think that there was a desire in the post-destruction era of Jewish weakness to, to look back on the glorious period of, the, of biblical times, and especially the period of the Avot, which is so far into deep antiquity that nobody can know the historical truth. You can just project whatever you want to project and say, our people were not just spiritually giants. They were physically quite robust and could bully their way through anything that uh, even one of the, uh, of the, the Shvatim could have knocked out a whole city. Uh, yeah. We have a black and white story with two teenagers. So, so, but so here's the thing. In the episode of Shechem, it's Vayihi Bayom HaShlishi Otam Koavim. On the third day when they were, uh, they, they were in pain, they right after surgery. So the Bible itself tells something of a plausible story with this little detail of the other, the other team was incapacitated when we came in and butchered them. It doesn't say that all, all things being equal, nobody on the, on the disabled list, everybody perfectly healthy, two guys beat a thousand people. doesn't say that. Um, but yet, in the Midrashic tradition, yeah, sure, we could defeat a thousand people. Not, not, a, not a problem. We can kill anybody we want. Um, I, I think it's, it's a matter of Jewish pride. that, And it shows that people, including our people, are not only interested in hearing that my great-great-granddaddy was a tzaddik. We're also interested in hearing that my great-great-granddaddy was as strong as Goliath. I mean, was, 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 was a mighty warrior. So for all, the, for all the idea that the Jews value spiritual greatness, like all other people, we also value the notion that we come from a pretty impressive stock physically. That's what I, I think. I, well, despite that, they downplay the Hashem. Isn't that a bit problematical? I mean, look at the way Shimon and Levi are described. No, well, they, that they did that only because they were the, the, the people were incapacitated the third day from an from an operation. Yeah, but yeah, I mean it, the Shimon and, the Shimon and Levi uh, story is to is to be regarded as an exception because they engaged in deception bin Mirama, uh, and and their father didn't like it at, at the time or even years later. But other examples of uh, physical heroism or you know aggrandizing the, the, the physical abilities of, of, of biblical heroes. I mean, you have Moshe and the attack against uh, Og, you know, that he's 10 cubits tall and jumps 10 cubits high and uh, the axe is 10 cubits long and he chops the guy at the ankle. That, you know, the, the impressive character, physical character of our heroes. Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I would argue quite the opposite, that Moshe never 
enters into physical action. He may command physical action, but he himself is never involved in any fights. But, but, in, the, but in the Midrashic retelling, he is. But, well, yeah. But, uh, but in, in, in this case, let me just put two cents in. That yeah. In this case, it's so contrary to the shot that right. I, I, I can't believe, so to speak, that people could make those statements, even in Midrash, uh, which doesn't have to be the shot true, but to be so contrary to it uh, makes you not believe or even feel proud of what they're saying. It doesn't sell very well, I would think. So I'll tell you another another factor there to, de- to defend this particular Midrash. And not along the lines of our ancestors were big, uh, brutish characters who could muscle their way through anything. Rather, it's this. Yehuda is upset that his family is being picked on by this Egyptian bureaucrat, high-ranking bureaucrat, like almost like Pharaoh, but still a bureaucrat, and being accused of things that they're not really guilty of. And so when you have that situation where you're being bullied by an authority, what do you do? Do you sheepishly and meekishly take it? Or do you try to say something to talk tough? When the kid is being bullied in the schoolyard and he's four foot ten and weighs 90 pounds and the bully is five nine and weighs 150 pounds and they're in the seventh grade and one is pummeling the other, the kid who's being pummeled at some point wants to speak up and say something nasty to the, to the bully, even though he can't really back it up with any physical force. He, this is what Ben said himself in a podcast. Okay, yeah. And he was a little runty kid. Always yeah. picked on, especially right. in high school. And he had to pick, what's he going to do? He decided with a big mouth and to try to, like, be using his his uh, his mouth to push people off him. Okay, so 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 the, the use of the big mouth serves one of two possible purposes. Either it's effective in actually thwarting the plans of the bully, or in this case, the bureaucrat, to, pun- to, to further pummel the, the little guy. Maybe Maybe it works. Or even if it doesn't work, it makes you feel good that you said something. It makes you feel good. So that's another factor in this Midrash, that the Jew who's on the receiving end of a whole host of punishments that are not really deserved uh, from the Christian or from whomever needs to feel like, well, my granddad was in the same situation and he at least he gave a, a mouthful to the, to, to the oppressor. So I don't know if I can do it, if I have the chutzpah, the, 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 you know, the audacity to do it, but my, my ancestor had the audacity to do it. And there are people that take that believe it, Avi, believe it or not. Danny and I know some people. <laughs> is, it, is, it possible, is it possible that I think later on there's a story of when they actually sit down to eat? Yeah. The whole machloket about which group was on which side of the table. And some say, I think this is all Midrash. There was, you know, there were six brothers over here and six on the other side. And, you know, because it talks about the Giborim and who are the Giborim? Maybe it's, maybe the Midrash is just trying to tie in with what happens later on in the story to pretend that Yehuda was one of the, the warriors. Well, it's, it's certainly the case that the Torah does mention that Yosef brings the uh, half of the brothers to see Paro. Which ones? The ones that were less impressive so that he wouldn't be so convinced to try to drag them into the military, whatever it is. So there, there certainly is this idea of not everybody was a physical equal. There were those who were more impressive than others. And so those who were quite impressive, maybe Judah was the most impressive, really could 
you know, punch his way through a, a fight if, 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 you know, if he needed to. Um, but that's not the sort of thing you would want to say to the, to a, to a viceroy who, who has life and death uh, in his hands. I mean, so that's, uh, th- those are my, some of my thoughts on Kamocha Keparo. Um, one, one last idea, the, um, when, when Yehuda says, so we assume it means he's violating some, some protocol. But it's also the fact that this is not the first time that they're, they're petitioning Yosef for something. It's not just a violation of the protocol. It's the fact that here a Jew, you know, Yehuda, has to repeatedly go before this heathen monarch or pseudo-monarch and do his job of shtad lanut. So it's, an, it's a warning to us or to pre-modern Jews, but you could argue even modern era Jews, but certainly pre-modern Jews and the, the, the court Jews, the Hufjuden, that just the simple act of petitioning the authorities, even when done in a respectful fashion, will eventually annoy the hell out of them. And where, where do we find this? With Harry Truman and Chaim Weitzman, right? He didn't want to see him at some point. Like the, the, the Zionists are just annoying me all the time, even if it's in a respectful fashion. Just keep coming back and back time and again is tiresome and is annoying. So we, we have to keep doing it because we have no choice to do it, but we have to be aware of the fact that we're going to at least get under the skin of the, the entity we're petitioning. I just wanted to add that you, you know about Yosef, regarding Yaakov, yeah. they say that they took him up to bury him in the cave. You know, you, you think the simple shot, he bought him burial site, he wants to be buried with his wife, that's what he wants. You know, yeah. they have to say that the Egyptians would worship him. He's such a, a, a godlike figure in the eyes of Egyptians, yeah. they have to get him out of this. So they're magnifying Again, yes, that's, a, that's, that's one of many examples of where the, the, the Jewish tradition is to regard our heroes as having been heroes of the wider world and recognized as you know, the greats of, of, of human civilization. Now, in truth, in truth, in the uh, putting aside Jesus himself, who is the, the biggest in that category, because a billion people believe he's a god, but just in the, the, the <laughs> modern era... To the last 200 years, there have been plenty of Jews who have been lionized for this or that accomplishment in this area or that area of, of human endeavor and had great, you know, a great uh, roster of fans. And they were worshipped, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, regarding the biblical figures, we tend to do that about them and to say everybody regarded them as so favorably. And whatever Whoopi says, she still took the name Goldberg. That's right. But she's on her way down. That's what I think. All right, gentlemen, a good Shabbos to one and all. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Take care. Thank you very much. Shabbat shalom. Okay.